Let me add my welcome to uh, those of you who are here and to our guests, as well as those who are listening online. Uh, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here on the team. And we're continuing a series that we began uh, actually several weeks ago uh, called Origins. It's a study in Genesis. And our title for today's message is called Save from Annihilation. Save from Annihilation. And in this, we're going to continue to look at uh, Noah's life and the conditions of that situation. But we're going to particularly look at some of the attributes of God's character. And so before we do that, let's pray and ask God to help us in this time together. Heavenly Father, you are holy. You are a mighty creator. That means that you are our maker. You are gracious. We know you as slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You are also a righteous judge who says that by no means would you clear the guilty. But Lord, we want you to help us as we look at your word. We want you to adjust any wrong thinking that we have. We ask you to teach us Lord, I ask that you would help me to share in a way that's accurate with your truth, uh, that your spirit would really minister to each one of us. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what your word says. And that as a result, Lord, we would come to know you as Savior and Lord, and that we would be better disciples of you. So, Lord, we, we anticipate your help in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I love to uh, see new parents and, or expecting parents because, you know, they get so excited about this new child coming along, this new uh, favorite that they're going to have, a little favorite. And so they get real creative in, uh, in their decorations. And so you know, they, they're looking, they get excited about decorating the bedrooms of this new child. And, and a lot of people like to take on a theme, a special theme that they want to design that room around. And so many of them are, are Disney-related themes like Cars or Toy Story or maybe Barbie or Princesses. And, and for the guys, you know, they really want to make sure they get that, those juices going, thinking about sports. And so, you know, a lot of parents are kind of trying to shape and, and kind of enter into the world of these, of these children. And then for other parents, they kind of like to bring on a biblical kind of a topic, a biblical perspective. And so, you know, there's the Noah's Ark theme. And so I, you know, pulled some of these off of Pinterest, you know, some really interesting ways to kind of decorate for the Noah's Ark for your little ones. But if you think about this kind of an image of, this, of Noah's Ark, there's just something missing there. There's, there's something about that that doesn't fully represent the account of what happened with Noah and his family. There's just, it doesn't seem quite filled out or accurate in, 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 in how it depicts the story that we're looking through, the, the account that we're looking for. And so when you see this, as this is what we kind of represent Noah's Ark as being, the question is, did we miss 
the picture? Did we miss the boat? Did we miss the, the point that's being made? Is the message really helping us and helping our kids? But before you take down any of your designs at home, don't feel like you got to run home and kind of like totally take down all those things in your room. I, I hold that thought until after we get through, and I think you'll have some ideas. But when we consider the big idea for our text today, I, I think that the Bible would show us that the record of Noah's Ark should motivate sober reverence and humble gratitude for God's justice, rescue, and blessing. The record of Noah's Ark, the account that God has given us, should motivate a sober reverence in us and humble gratitude for God's justice, rescue, and blessing. Last week, Pastor Don started off this section on Noah's Ark as we started out in, in Genesis chapter 6, the first eight verses. And so just a quick review, I just think will help us as we enter into our message today. Because it starts off, I, I want to pull one verse from that, which was a weighty truth and really talks about the condition of mankind at this time. It says this, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I mean, for many people, that's going to be pretty hard to swallow. Every intention of the thoughts of, of man's heart was only evil continually. And from that section last week, um, Don drew for us three points that we see in this first section of Genesis chapter 6. The first one is this, that sin has thoroughly and completely corrupted every human heart. Thoroughly corrupted every human heart. Secondly, that God's patience and mercy with sin must one day turn to judgment. So there's, there's going to be an end to his patience. There's going to be an end to his mercy. And one day, judgment will be the case. Thirdly, God's grace is the only hope to escape his judgment. The only hope that we would have for the condition of man and the escape of this judgment would be God's grace. And as you think about these statements, you know, I think that for many of us, you know, we, we get kind of squeamish. We feel kind of uncomfortable with the thought that every intention of our thoughts uh, were evil and that man is that corrupt that God is going to have to judge these, these people. And so sometimes, even especially now in our culture today, we don't really want to talk about God as judge. God is holy. God is righteous. God is wrathful. We don't like that thought. We kind of want to like not include that in our messages, not include that in our conversation, kind of go a little bit lightly on that. Maybe even kind of say, well, that's kind of the Old Testament way that we thought we saw God, but the New Testament is different, which is really not true. Get embarrassed for God. But you know, for years, Noah had been building an ark, about 100 years. 
And he and all the people were coming and hearing why he was building this ark and warnings were going out and mocking was going on and jeering was going on. And so after God's patience for up to 120 years, now God's patience and mercy had come to an end. And we come to our first point for our section today is um, as judge, God convicted and condemned mankind. Let's look in Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 11. It says this, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them on the earth, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall die. So God convicted mankind. Three times in this section here it says that the earth was corrupt. Corrupt in God's sight. It was corrupt for all flesh and had corrupted the way of the earth. And two times it even includes the word violence, which I thought was interesting to, to really highlight, you know, what God thought about the violence that was going on at the time. It says that the earth was filled in verse 11 with violence. And then in verse 13, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And so God convicted mankind and then he condemned it. In the same section we have here in verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence and God saw the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth and God said that Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 17, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. The holy judge of the universe decreed, I've determined to make an end to all flesh and destroy the earth. Everything that has the breath of life under heaven shall die. That was God's condemnation. In the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 18, verse 20, it says, the soul who sins shall die. We see throughout scriptures, whenever God chose and thought it was the righteous thing to do, he executed judgment with death. So how does that sit with you? How does that sit with you? What do you think about your God? Does that shake your confidence in him? Does that make you uncomfortable with who he is? Do you find yourself apologizing for God or minimizing his condemnation, his judgment? Have you understood that this is not just an Old Testament way that God deals with unrighteousness and judgment, but this is the way he deals with sin? 
I was looking through the attributes of God in Bible doctrine, uh, probably one of the best known uh, sections on um, doctrine that, that are used across mes- much of evangelical Christianity. And, and we have these things on, by Wayne Grudem, he says this. He says of these terms about the attributes of God, of God's goodness, think of it this way. The goodness of God means that God is the final standard of good and that all that God is and does is worthy of approval. Everything that God is and does is good. That's what that word goodness means, worthy of approval. In the New Testament, when someone came up to Jesus and said, good teacher, uh, and what must I do to be saved? Jesus said, no one is good but God alone. So if we were to look for a standard of what is good, we would look at who is God, what is God like? Secondly, in in the Bible doctrine, you have the word holiness. Holiness means God is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. When we talk about the holiness of God, those those are aspects that we would find about he is separated from sin. That's why there will be no sin in heaven. There'll be no sinful person in heaven. And it will all, all things in his holiness seek his glory and his honor. First Peter chapter one, verses 15 and 16 says, but as he has called you, excuse me, but as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's who he is. He's absolutely holy. And then the word righteousness. Righteousness and justice in the Hebrew uh, language are are really the same root word. And God being just or righteous says this. God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. Now think about this in the context of what we're looking at with God's condemnation and God's uh, conviction and we'll see his destruction of evil. God always acts in accordance of what is right. Everything that God does is just and righteous and is himself the final standard of what is right. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4 says, The rock, his his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness without iniquity, just and upright is he. And so being who God is, good, holy, righteous, and just, we see that this makes sense that he has wrath. From Bible doctrine, it says this, wrath means he intensely hates all sin. I don't intensely hate all sin. I don't think most of us intensely hate all sin. And I think that that probably clouds why we are uncomfortable with God being a God of wrath. 
because we're not holy like God is. We're not just like God is. And our thoughts of being good do not line up with who God is or what he's like. You know, many of us will hear people say, you know, that's not the God that I, you know, that I worship. That's not the God that I follow. That's not the way that I think of God. Well, you created your own God then. (laughs) Because the God of the flood is God alone. He is the only God. Every other God that's fabricated is a false idol, a false God. Deuteronomy 32, 35, Romans 12, 19, and Hebrews 10, 30 says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. God is a God of wrath. He's a God of vengeance. He doesn't give that job to you. He doesn't give that job to me. There are appointed ministers of his justice that he appoints, and they follow his ways and his rules. So there is an appropriate time for justice meted out. But God says, vengeance is mine and I will repay. But we also see in this section of the account of the flood, we see grace. Grace means God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. We see grace on Noah and his family. We saw last week, it's because, not so much because he earned a place on that ark. It's because his faith put him in a position to receive the grace of God. His faith put him in a position that God could pay for his sin and his family's sin and set them apart for himself. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Even our faith is God's gift. It's a gift of God. It's not our works. But because of corruption... Mankind was convicted and condemned. And then our second point is we see that it was destroyed and sanitized. Genesis chapter 7 says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. The rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights, Verse 17, the waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the face of the waters and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains covering them 15 cubits deep. That means the water went above the mountains about 22 to 25 feet, depending on how you measure your cubit. 
Nothing like this storm had ever happened before. It says that there was an eruption of waters from the deep that came up, and there was a canopy of, of, of water around the earth that came down at that time. Creation, other than those few in the ark, were left outside the ark. Helpless, terrified. Could we have the picture? Helpless, terrified, despairing, exhausted. Nothing. Nothing outside that ark was safe. No one outside that ark made it. No one in that place outside the ark lived. It was all destroyed at that time. And it goes on in verse 21, it says, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on the dry land in those in whose nostrils was the breath of life, he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the, of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the, air, of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Now, some of us like to swim. You're not treading for 150 days in that storm. There's the mountains 20, 25 feet below you. There's no place to stand up. There's no safe place. There was no safe place. 150 days before God began to draw back the waters. God was sanitizing. God was annihilating. God was cleansing the earth of the corruption that came because of sin. But God has always had a plan that he would have a people to rule over, a people under his care, in his place, under his rule and his blessing. And so we have the hope because God rescued and restored a people. Look with me at Romans chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 18. It says this, to Noah's family, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, your sons' wives, with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come to you and keep you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is to be eaten and stored up, for it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him. You see his faith? See his reverence of God? 
He did everything that God said. Decades, decades before up to the point of bringing all these animals that God brought to him back on there. And God was to establish a covenant relationship with them that we'll hear actually more about next week, I believe. And then it goes on and says, Genesis 7 and verse 4, For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I made I will blot out from the face of the, of the ground. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives went with them into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that were not clean, and of birds, and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Seven days before that flood came. Decades and decades he had been preparing. It's time to go on the ark. It's time to find your refuge. It's time to be saved. They went on to the ark. The rain was coming down. He went in as commanded. And it said, and the Lord shut him in. This is God's plan. This wasn't some reckless fury that God just said, I'm done with this. And just God, you know, nails everyone or anything like this. This was a, this was a very intentional, patient, gracious, waiting, longing for people to come, which they never did. And then the rain came. God has set up his plan, his provision, his protection, his care, his salvation. He wanted them, and then he secured them. He shut that door. He secured them for himself in the ark. And I wonder if you see the pretty obvious picture here of what being in the ark was all about. It was all about the safety and security and the salvation that comes from being in Jesus Christ. Because outside of Jesus Christ, there's only destruction. There's only annihilation and, and uh, not there's going to be eternal suffering, actually, for those outside. But there was a destruction coming. And because of faith... Noah and his family were brought safely into the ark, and God shut the door. God secured a salvation for them and a future hope for them, as we'll see. And perhaps you've heard this message before, and you've heard that you need a Savior. But perhaps you've not seen how holy this God is, how righteous this God is, how willing this God is to provide a way of escape for you. And you have thought that you have endless amount of time to decide these things, and you do not. Because there comes a time 
when God says, that's it. And if you're not in that ark, if you haven't been secured by him, if your faith is not in Jesus Christ, you're without hope. And you might think that this is not an appropriate way to see people come to Jesus Christ. And you've not read your Bible because there's lots of warnings in the scriptures. There's lots of warnings about the consequences of not obeying God, of not following God. There's lots of ways that God in his love for you has pleaded with you and made known to you that there's a salvation that is necessary through Jesus Christ. And so if you've never put your hope in Jesus Christ, God in his mercy and his grace toward you sacrificed the most important one that he could in all the universe, his own son. He sent his son on a rescue mission to be born a man so he could be identified with us and also that he could earn a perfect righteousness while on the earth. He earned that perfect righteousness knowing that there was a judgment coming for him because the, the wrath of God that he knew from all eternity past was coming. And God in his holy justice poured out his wrath on Jesus there at the cross, paying for the sins of the world, dying for wretchedness and the, 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 the corruption and the violence just like was being judged there at Noah's day. God did that to his own son. God in his goodness did that to his own son. God in his justice poured out wrath on his own son. God in his holiness was not going to share heaven with you or me unless you came in through the son. And that son, Jesus, offered himself willing. He said, no one takes my life away from me. I offered of my own accord. Jesus offered himself for you, for you and for me. And to those who believe in him, who trust in him, who, who trust in him as the Savior and Lord for them, you put your hope in him, then you've come into the ark. And God closes that door and you are safe. And if you've never put your hope in Jesus Christ, let me warn you one more time. You will not have endless warnings. There will be an end to, to the warnings. There will be an end to the patience and mercy of God because God is holy and he's just and he will execute justice. And if you would like to talk to someone about it, I would love to have that opportunity, but perhaps someone who brought you as a Christian. And I know they would love to talk with you and pray with you as you turn away, as you renounce your self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency, that you renounce and turn away, that you think that you're going to make it somehow outside this ark. You won't. But you want to turn and you put your hope in the provision of God and through Jesus Christ, his son. I want to urge you to do that. Going on in our, our text here. It says this. It says, God didn't just rescue them, but actually he had a future hope and plan for them. 
it says in Rome, excuse me, in, in Genesis 8, it says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. See, God wasn't just going to save them and keep them in an ark, and that's where they would live out their days. No, God had a plan for them to restore them. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided, and the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain of the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. And at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest in the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And it goes on. And at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark and he had made, that he had made, and he sent forth a raven he went in, he went to it, and excuse me, it went to and fro until the waters were dried up in the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still in the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her to the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth a dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. Behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked autumn leaf, olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters were subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth a dove, and she did not return to him anymore. I apologize, but I cannot read a verse that says something about ravens and make a mention. I can't. I'm from Baltimore. So this is not from a commentary, but these are my own personal meditations. It's my personal opinion. The ravens got sent out first. But he didn't send them out again. He only sent out the, the doves after that. And I'm tr really, I was meditating on this yesterday evening. And I figured, you know, God is really against violence, and the ravens were too violent for him. <laughs> and in that case, he really needed to show some, some peace and some gentleness. So he, he decided, okay, let's keep the ravens here. They'll send out the doves. So that's, that's my own personal opinion for what it's worth. But we see how God had a plan to restore mankind. We see... We see his plan to provide for them once again. Let's look at a, a timetable real quickly over this. And we see in this timetable, if I could have that up. There we go. This whole period of time that we've talked about is 117, excuse me, one year and 17 days. And so we had a seven-day period. He gave them warning. He says, you know, it's coming right now. Get them on the ark. Get ready. The rain began, and for 40 days you had rain. And then from that point on, from the, the rain, the flood coming, there was another 110 days. So you had this 150-day period of rain. And then the flood peaked at that period of time. And then for the next 74 days, the waters and the winds started subsiding the, the, the rain until the mountain's tops were showing after 74 days. And then after 45 more days, he began to send out 
the raven and the doves. And then with 56 days to go, he looked out and the earth was dry and he took off the covering off the top and he still waited for 56 days. And then God said, it's time to come out. And they came out and they left the ark. Next slide. So they were rescued, they were restored. It says, in, it says in verse 13, it says, In the 600th day of the first year, on the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the, off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you, Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. And so you see this sending them back out, bringing them back out, bringing them back to a better place, a, a, a cleansed place, it's a place where they can start again and he's saying, just like he did to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He restored them. He started again, and we'll hear more about that next week. He started again with them. But as I reflect on this section, as you reflect on this thing, you know, I would be asked by people, you know, is God more patient or wrathful? When you think about God, is he more loving or is he more angry? And I, and I think it might be helpful to think about this, you know, um, from Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. There was a time when Moses was seeking to see God. He wanted to see God. He wanted to see God in his glory. He wanted to see who God really is. What's he really like? And he was begging God. He said, show me your glory. And God said, you know, no one can look at my, my face and live. Nobody can look at me and live. But eventually he kind of said, okay, I'll show you my back. And so he kind of tucked him into this crevice in the mountains and, the, and all these violent things went through and there was a quietness, quiet voice after all these violent storms came through. And in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. That's his, that's his covenant name, Yahweh. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, who will by, but who will by no means clear the guilty. God reveals his glory by proclaiming his name and his attributes. To think about the glory of God, think about the sum of who he is. We use the terms glory of God to sum up who he is in all his attributes. God is not pitting one quality against the other. He is all these things. And the mystery that that is, God is able to be both a God of judgment, vengeance, and wrath, 
and a merciful, gracious God. But let me point this out. For us, we know that that grace is extended to us because of Jesus Christ. And it's through Jesus Christ primarily that we will experience the full goodness of God in his mercies and graces and the hope of eternal life. So if you're going to think about that room that you've decorated, you know, with Noah's Ark, you might want to add maybe this picture to it. You could add this one to it as well. (laughs) Just find a little spot, take down something else, put this up. Because you're children and you should be reminded that there's justice, there is wrath coming. And that's not a bad thing to bring into this illustration with your kids. Yes, there's a a beauty of God's creation. Yes, there's, I imagine that they weren't celebrating until way after they got off that ark because they were probably scared to death to come off that ark. I I imagine they were very tentative coming off that ark. I I bet they themselves were just in fear of a holy, righteous God, of the storm raging around them at the time. But if you want to keep that picture, that's fine too. But be aware. This is our our God, a God merciful and gracious, but a God who will not leave the guilty unpunished. Band, if you want to come up, worship team. So as we think about holding all these attributes of who God is, as we, as we consider how do we relate to God, I, I wanna, I'm, I'm aware that in our culture today, we're really, we're really holding back of embracing all that God is, all, all who he is. And Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So if you really want to be a wise person, There's an appropriate reverence and awe and fear of of a holy God that should be resident in your mind. I always think about uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. You know, the badgers were being asked about Aslan. It was a picture of of Christ. And he says, "Is is he safe? He says, he's safe. No, he's not safe, but he's good. God is not safe for everyone, but he's good. The the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So if you leave out the knowledge of who God is, you're going to be skewed in your insight of what's happening and how God works. And even though we'll never fully see him and understand him until we see him face to face, Let me urge you to go back to your Bible and wrestle with God so that you embrace all that God is. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Unless you think this is just an Old Testament kind of way of thinking about things from the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12, 
verses 28 to 29 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Acceptable worship in reverence and awe, because our God is a consuming fire. Does our reverence and awe result in obedience and acceptable worship? It did for Noah. He obeyed God. He, he responded to God. Can you listen to the word of God? Can you, can you listen to the commands of God? Can you hear the, the voice of God and say, well, let me think about that. Maybe not now. Well, God will forgive me. He isn't. He knows I'm a sinner. Or do you see that we serve holy God that will ask you to do challenging things? But he is God alone. He's the only God. If we are to worship him, we should learn from this, from this story, this account. The record of Noah's ark should motivate sober reverence and humble gratitude for God's justice, rescue, and blessing. The record of this account was left for us, was left for us to motivate sober reverence and humble gratitude for God's justice, his rescue, and blessing. Let's stand and worship together.